Before we get started on this episode of American Rabbi Project, a quick note. This is the final episode of the season, so it's going to be a little longer than usual. Also, I mentioned several different articles and essays and letters in this episode that you might want to read. The links will be on the episode page of my website, rabbiproject.com. And as always, all people interviewed for this project speak solely for themselves. Welcome to American Rabbi Project, a podcast about American Judaism from the perspective of rabbis across the country. I'm Justin Regan. There are few things in this world that break my spirit faster than following news coverage of a mass shooting. It usually starts with a push notification on my phone saying there are reports of a shooting at a school or a public event or a house of worship. At this point, there's still hope it's a false alarm or an overreaction and an all clear will come next. So I try not to allow my brain to go to the worst case scenario. Unfortunately, in many, if not most cases, reports of casualties start to trickle in. This is where I get a thought in my head, which I know is messed up, but I can't help myself. I hope for the lowest number possible. No matter what number eventually comes out, it's a tragedy. Even without a single death, lives are violated in a way that most people will never come to terms with. On my trip, there were two massacres that deeply shook me to my core. There was the mass shooting at a country bar near my hometown in Thousand Oaks, California. Twelve people were killed. And there was the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was in Washington, D.C. when Pittsburgh happened, and I felt completely lost. Being in a strange town where I knew very few people, I didn't even know where to go to process my grief, until I went to a Havdalah vigil that night outside of the White House. Havdalah is the group prayer ceremony to officially end Shabbat and welcome the new week. There's a belief in Judaism that you get an extra soul on Shabbat. So Havdalah is a way of ending the Sabbath and seeing off your extra soul until next week. Although I feel like I gained something at that vigil. I'm not sure what. Maybe it was just a spirit boost. Maybe it was a bit of empowerment to be praying and singing with people of all faiths right in the center of it in D.C. And maybe it was just the simple reminder that there is love in this world too. Episode 9. Washington, D.C. Here I am. The person who told me about the vigil was the rabbi I interviewed while in D.C., Rabbi Gil Steinloff. Hello, my name is Rabbi Gil Steinloff, and I'm the former rabbi of Addis Israel Congregation. I am currently the director of the Hineni Fellowship for LGBTQ Jewish Leadership, as well as the scholar-in-residence at the uh, Jewish Federation of Greater Washington. Steinloff and I spoke a few days after the tragedy. When I got to Addis Israel, the first thing I noticed were the metal detectors, something Steinloff says were a new addition after the shooting. I don't know if I'm over the numbness. I certainly am overwhelmed and sad. But another reaction that I think maybe takes precedence over all of those reactions is a kind of sad sense of not surprised. Not surprised uh, because of the, the culture of firing the, the, the flames of hatred that are being sowed at the very top levels of government in this society. And I was thinking for a long time that it's a, it's a matter of time before something like this happened. To date, Pittsburgh is believed to be the deadliest attack against Jews in U.S. history. Eleven worshipers were murdered. 
Some have gone on to call it a pogrom, a Russian word similar to lynch mob. That word is usually a past tense word, reserved for acts of terror against Jews in the old countries. Jews are no strangers to tragedies, and Steinloff says this has crafted a very Jewish response. There is a Jewish answer. There's a very clear Jewish answer to why does evil have to exist? Why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer to that question is, what do we do now? That's, that's the response. It's not reacting in hatred. It's not withdrawing into despair. It's action-oriented. What do we need to do? Okay, some, something evil has happened. Now what do we do? And, and our rabbis and our prayers and our texts and our wisdom teachings have been showing us for centuries that we have to affirm justice. We have to uphold the sacredness and goodness and the infinite potential for goodness that exists in the world. That, that if we have faith in anything, it's faith in that potential for the good in all things, in all moments, and we don't give up on that. And we have to figure out what actions we can take. And, uh, and I'm proud of our community because I think I'm seeing that coming out in this community now. Specifically, Steinloff mentions the vigil held at Addis Israel after the shooting. About 5,000 people showed up. 1,500 of those couldn't even make it into the building and held an impromptu vigil outside. It was part of a wave of unity events that swept across the country and the world in the wake of the tragedy, something that inspired Steinloff. My only fear at this moment is that in our understandable yearning to be safe, in our need to protect ourselves, this obsession with things like metal detectors and armed guards and, and doing what we can, can, can overwhelm everything else. That's always a danger. You know, it, that, that fear itself can overwhelm the, everything else about how we come together as Jewish people. For Steinloff, the whole narrative of Jews in America has been about this balance between security and identity. In the past, it wasn't so much metal detectors, but adopting the dominant white Christian culture that Jews used for defense. The kind of forms and formats that you see in American synagogues with the bima in the front of the room and the, the rabbi traditionally in American tradition, you know, wearing things like robes. These things are all borrowed from Protestant Christianity and in this, all in this attempt to become more waspy than the wasps here in America. Over the past uh, couple of decades, you've seen a, a movement to, to begin to question those presumptions. You've seen a movement toward, well, what is the authentic the authentically Jewish dimension of, of how we are Jewish, how we pray, how we do Jewish. Um, are there new forms, new, new ways of, of experiencing our Jewish spirituality and our religion that harkens to something um, unique and, and not necessarily assimilationist? It's the type of question Steinloth has spent a good amount of his career chewing over. He says back in his seminary days in the 90s, he was told that, quote, conservative Judaism is king of American Judaism. Not long after ordination, he found that to be untrue, that across the country and the world, non-Orthodox Jewish institutions were declining in numbers. And I would put the, the shift in American Judaism this way. 
in the past couple of generations, Judaism has been presented as what I like to call as an objectified Judaism. In other words, it lives outside of you. It's, a, it's, like, a, it's like a thing that's out there in the world. And that you, as an American Jew, are balancing your Judaism with other aspects of your life. And then when you enter into a synagogue, because it's, it's like visiting a museum for many people, it's, you also have to know something about what you're doing. You have, there, there's a sense of deep insecurity that people have about what page are we on. I don't know where to bow. Steinloff started considering a total change in how everything from prayer to the synagogue to learning is viewed. So in other words, the Torah, the prayers, they all exist, not, they exist for you. They're there to help you to, to answer the question, how can I feel most connected to my truest self, to my, to my loved ones, to, to my community, to God? And I can make use of all of these different toolkits or all these tools and this technology to help me be a better human being. This style of thinking eventually got him to the pulpit of Addis Israel. While there, Steinloff brought about new changes like a Beit Midras, or House of Study, a place where people can study and connect on their own terms, and in this case, also have access to modern technology and, of course, a coffee bar. Steinloff says things like that helped to grow numbers when most congregations were losing people. So all of these elements really started to create new kinds of opportunities, which then led people to ask really relevant questions. There's a strong and growing influence in this congregation, for example, on social justice and on the spirituality of social justice and on how our texts and our traditions inspire us and lead us directly to action. So that when, God forbid, things like this, that this tragedy have happened or God forbid will happen again, we will have the tools to be able to turn directly to our tradition to answer that question, what do we do now? Steinloff helped bring these changes to a very seasoned congregation. Addis Israel has been around for nearly 150 years. Then-President Ulysses Grant attended the dedication ceremony. It's what Steinloff calls a flagship congregation of the conservative movement. Washington, D.C. has a large Jewish population, and many powerful people come there to pray. Well, I'll tell you, when I first got here, I was, I was terrified. <laughs> it was a very daunting and intimidating uh, reality to have to suddenly find myself in. And I remember one, uh, in early on giving a, a High Holy Day sermon where I was making some major point about justice. And there I was looking out at Supreme Court justices in, the, in that moment thinking, what on earth can I possibly say <laughs> that, could, that, 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 they could, that they could take in the best sense? But they were all, you know, they're very lovely and supportive. Steinloff says when he first arrived to Addis Israel, the clout of his congregants would get to him, and sometimes he would try to say impressive things to prominent members. But what I have found over the years is that when you come to synagogue, all of that, in a sense, it, it disappears. Everybody is, is just Jewish here. And I think that that's what most of those people are looking for when they come to synagogue. They're looking uh, not so much to be players, but uh, to escape that, actually, uh, and, and to find a safe haven uh, with, here within the Beltway of a place where uh, they can approach aspects of their own personal spiritual lives and growth and connection with community. To a certain extent, I, I learned to completely just look past whatever pe people do outside of the Jewish community and simply meet them where they are. 
and that's proven to be very effective. Still, there are some unique opportunities afforded to a Beltway rabbi. He's had world authorities and newsmakers provide feedbacks on drafts of his sermons. There's also a lot of unique moments to be an ambassador of the Jewish people to prominent individuals. For Steinloff, that specifically includes one time where he had a brief private Torah study session with then-President Barack Obama. The thing about uh, President Obama uh, is that, and I knew this about him even before before we had our, our couple of minutes together, but he identifies strongly with the Jewish community. He sees something in, in the Jewish spirit and in, in, the, in the story of the Jewish people that, that resonates very personally with him. And so, and, and, that, and he exuded that sense of connection uh, as, soon as, as soon as we met. Steinloff showed President Obama the Beit Midras. He told the president about the Jewish concept of study, how it makes for an intimate relationship between those in study, how it's about people coming together to learn about and debate the complexities of Torah and how it can be brought into the actions of the modern day. And uh, he found that to be very moving, actually. You know, from his, his, his origins and things like community organizing, where people have one-on-ones with each other, and that's exactly what motivates people to, to, to take action and get involved. And to see the connection between that and, and what Judaism has been doing for thousands of years as a way of getting us to do sacred things in the world, um, I think that only served to deepen his own sense of connection to the Jewish people. Inversely, Steinloff also had words for President Donald Trump when he got elected in what became a well-publicized letter. So that le- open letter to, to Trump is something that I, that I put together as an expression of some of the words of comfort and hope that I had, I had offered to people as we, as we tried to make sense together. As, once again, parallel with, with this moment after Pittsburgh, that when you see a, a devastating turn of events, Judaism has a lot to say about how, how, we, how we can overcome it. In the letter, Steinloff told President Trump that people like him, who use hatred and infighting to gain power, have plagued people in every generation, but that light always wins out over darkness. At one point, Steinloff wrote, quote, For you, life is a nightmare where you cannot feel the nearness of divine love, unquote. Steinloff says as a rabbi, he tries to avoid making political statements when he can. However, and I've, I've been saying this to my leadership all the years that I've been, I've been at Addis, which was, I reserve the right to speak out and to say something, even political, when I feel like the, the moral message of the hour requires me as a religious, spiritual leader to do so. And we're living in an era where our political leaders have crossed the, the moral line into, into something that is immoral and at times even evil. And who but cl- clergy have the responsibility to be the first people to call that out and to name it and to speak the truth to power. It's one of several times in his life when something became a bigger story than he intended. Another instance of this was when, after the high holidays in 2014, he wrote an open letter to his congregation coming out as gay. For Steinloff, it's a realization about himself that took 45 years to come to terms with. People like me often feel like they have something to prove to the world when you're, when you're trying to hide something. For some people, they become uh, anti-gay bigots. There are others who are more like me, which is I just had to be, uh, I wanted to prove something to the world about my ability to be successful and to, and to meet all of societal standards of, of, what, uh, of what heterosexual success looks like.
In so many ways, he seemed to have achieved those standards of success. Steinloff was the rabbi of one of the most established synagogues in the country. He was boosting attendance numbers in a time of general decline elsewhere. He and his then-wife, who is also a rabbi, had made a very happy family together. But deep down, Steinloff felt like something was off. Because of therapy that I had been in in the 80s when, you know, it was a long time ago, so they had different kinds of messages for, for kids like me back then. I really thought that I was straight. I thought that I was straight. Maybe I had some hang-ups. That's 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 just how I how I understood myself. And I had been so I had been so disassociated from the part of me that's gay is that I couldn't even tell I couldn't even place what was not right. This spurred Steinloff into a period of soul searching, and one of the things that helped him see the truth of who he was was Torah. The purpose of Torah is not just to inspire. It's not just to be stories that that make us think of higher things. Sometimes the purpose of the Torah is to challenge us. Sometimes the purpose of the Torah is to upset us. Sometimes it's there to put us into a tailspin and in crisis in life. That's why the Torah is sometimes harsh. That's why it's sometimes alienating. That's why it's, it's a, it can be a very difficult and sometimes uh, uh, almost opaque document in that it's, it's, it, it's like a mirror of life itself. It's a mirror that we hold up to ourselves and to our world. Just like life itself is challenging and difficult and sometimes opaque, sometimes we feel the presence of God and sometimes we don't feel the presence of God. And in, 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 in confronting the, the, the harsh truth and reality of Torah, along with all that's wonderful and warm and fuzzy about Torah and, in, and embracing the whole truth of it, that helped me to do that within my own soul. You know, I, 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 there were parts of myself that I had just avoided. And, and I realized from the very nature of Torah that, that I could look at the fullness of myself and not think of some part of myself as too shameful or too dark or too unacceptable to be, to be a part of the narrative of who Gil Steinloff is. And just, just as the Torah doesn't shy away from it, I'm not going to shy away from it. With this discovery, Steinloff and his wife realized they had to get divorced. He says the two of them still care deeply for each other and consider themselves family. Eventually, Steinloff came to the decision to come out to his congregation. The letter went viral, and the response was overwhelmingly supportive. And it wasn't just the congregation. You know, I remember coming into my office like an hour after uh, the letter was published, and my inbox was suddenly exploding with hundreds and then ultimately thousands of emails. And I was getting phone calls and handwritten notes and cards literally from all over the world because the, the news spread. Uh, that, uh, you know, a senior rabbi of a major American congregation mid-career suddenly came out of the closet, which I didn't even realize at the time would be newsworthy because there are plenty of gay and lesbian rabbis already out there in the field. Uh, but apparently this, this one struck a chord. In fact, uh, Jeffrey Goldberg, who's the editor of The Atlantic, wrote a piece about it. Uh, like, I think he wrote the same day um, about how the reason why it's newsworthy is it's sort of a liminal moment. That, that if I had been 10 years older, I would have just remained closeted uh, forever. And uh, 10 years younger, it would have, I would have been out anyway. And Steinloff hopes that stories like his soon become a thing of the past, where someone has to suppress who they are to the point that they have to rediscover themselves. Steinloff's own story has now taken a pivot since he's come out. I decided a year and a half ago to, to walk away from this extraordinary position at Addis Israel and to pursue a new, a new chapter of my professional life. And that has everything to do with that shift in, in, in my understanding of my own path. That, no, I don't have anything to prove anymore. 
and I don't need to prove something to the world. What I do want to do is, is teach Torah. What I do want to do is frame moments and create conditions for people to, to be inspired and to, and to feel connected to something beyond themselves. That's, that's still there, but I want to do it in different ways. Steinloff is working to engage more LGBTQ Jews through a program called Hineni, Hebrew for Here I Am. It's a year-long course where LGBTQ Jews learn about Jewish culture, history, spirituality, and many other things. It's designed to give them the tools necessary to become leaders in the Jewish community. Steinloff says this is vital because even though LGBTQ individuals are accepted in most Jewish circles these days, they're still marginalized. For example, even when I came out of the closet, people would come up to me and with the most loving hearts and the most wonderful intentions would say to me, you know, Rabbi, you're, you're, we love you. You're, you're our wonderful rabbi. We think you're the best. And, and this whole gay business, I don't care. I don't care at all. And I totally understand what they meant when they said that. But then, you know, inwardly, a part of me was thinking, well, I care. <laughs> and, and, you know, and which led me to reflect on the whole idea that that difference matters and that diversity is a beautiful thing and that we should care. It's, you know, so rather than beat people over the head and become angry or, or alienated, I'm trying to say there's another way that we have to have the courage, those of us who are in the, the not just LGBTQ, but in lots of, you know, Jews of color, uh, Jews who are in non-traditional families, uh, Jews with disabilities, all these different kinds of groups of people, some of us, you know, who have, who have a love of the Jewish people and who would be interested in leadership should, should really own the, these, these non-normative parts of our identities and very consciously and very proudly bring those things into the center of conversation because that can only serve to, to make the community healthier and more loving and more just. Steinloff believes another factor in the discussion over the balance between innovation and tradition has to do with every generation having their own spiritual language for connecting with Judaism. My newest fascination is what we call Generation Z. <laughs> the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, next, the next generation after millennials who are now in college. Um, they, they are sadly more cynical, but they are, they are infinitely more sophisticated than anything that we've seen before because of access to information and to knowledge. They're going to demand something that I think has never been demanded before in the Jewish world. They're going to be demanding realness. They're going to be demanding something that, that the Jewish institutional structure that we currently find ourselves in with federations and JCCs and day schools can only answer somewhat. It's a little scary because I think the answer that many many of the young youngest generations are coming to is that the only kind of change that's going to happen is going to have to be a radical change of everything, of all of our institutions, of all of our corporate structure, of all of the oppressive and abusive ways that 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 are happening in the world. But I think um, it's also very exciting because Judaism has a lot to say about radical change as much as it has to say about tradition. Rabbi Gil Steinloff has been working on change his entire life and bringing more individuals into the fold. He says there are multiple American Jewish narratives. One is anxiety-based, worries over assimilation, loss of culture, and even loss of life. He says these concerns are valid, as shown throughout history and now, sadly, more recently, with the continued attacks on American synagogues. That being said, there are other narratives of being Jewish that, that I think have to have a place at the table. And, and I believe not, not just an equal place at the table, but a, but, a, but a more predominant place at the table, 
which is that Judaism is is joyful. Judaism is sacred. Judaism is is inspiring. Judaism is it contains messages and wisdom within it that can transform not only our personal lives, but but that literally can heal the world, that can literally transform the world that we live in and make it a, a completely different place where hatred doesn't win out um, and where where humanity can reach a potential that it has never seen before. All of these messages are are so strong in our tradition that I think it's a tragedy when when we give into fear, which is why I started out this conversation saying that my 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 concern now is giving too much into fear whenever this happens. The greatest act of defiance we can do is to is to live the narrative of non-fear-based Judaism, but of joy-based Judaism, and and uh, that would be the greatest success of all. When I first got the idea for American Rabbi Project, a lot of it revolved around the question: Is America different? It felt weird at times to ask that question after Pittsburgh, as if something had been exposed. However, what sticks out to me in the post-Pittsburgh interviews, Steinloff included, is that despite being shaken up, in many cases there was still a sense of passion and excitement when talking about the future. This concludes Episode 9, Washington, D.C., Here I Am. And this concludes Season 1 of American Rabbi Project. Don't worry, I have plenty of other interviews in the bag, including several others from my road trip. I look forward to Season 2, and if you're curious about it, please feel free to email me, justin at rabbiproject.com. Once again, that is justin at rabbiproject.com. And now, some thank yous. Thank you to Derek Pova for being my dedicated web guy. Having a great website not only makes my product look better, it gives me a greater sense of pride in what I'm doing, so thank you. Thank you to Jeremy Crones and Sarit Rathbone for always finding the time to meticulously go through my long and clunky scripts and to listen to my senseless rambling on the phone. Also, thanks to Jeremy for helping me get in contact with Rabbi Shoshana Meira Friedman in Massachusetts and Rabbi Steinloff in D.C. Thank you to Beth Vanderstoop for being my rock, my sounding board, and a great insight on the finer details of Jewish theology. Thank you to Dylan Abrams for bringing a professional journalist's perspective to the project. As a professional journalist, you have no free time, yet you found time for me. Thank you to my parents for literally everything, including reviewing my scripts and letting me voice this great piece of journalism in their bedroom closet. And thank you to all the people I interviewed. You gave your precious time to a freelance podcaster in a beat-up Honda Civic, and that means the world to me. Season 2 is going to be great, but for now, go to my website, rabbiproject.com, to catch up on all the episodes. You'll also find a Jewish terminology index there. Follow me on Twitter with the handle at rabbiproject and facebook.com slash rabbiproject. And of course, until next time, until next season, shalom and safe driving.